still my soul. Hey everybody, this is Phil. Welcome to our Bible study podcast. At the end of this study, please take the time to subscribe to the Glen Springs Church YouTube channel and check out our website. Also, if you live in the Gainesville, Florida area, we would love to have you visit us in person. For now, let's open up the Heavenly Library and may the words of the Holy Spirit sink deep into our hearts. Thanks for joining us. In every Good evening. We're actually starting a minute early. I'm pretty happy about that. So, so it's been uh, it's been a couple of weeks since I was up here, and so we had uh, a little bit of a hiatus. Phil uh, offered to uh, fill in for a couple of weeks because I had a pretty full plate, and I appreciate him doing that. Um, the last three classes that we were together on this topic, we talked about some attributes of God, and we looked at the omnipotence of God, the omniscience of God, uh, the omnipresence of God, these really big uh, things that describe the nature of God and and his being. Um, And there are a lot of other topics like that that we could talk about on the subject of of who God is. Um, We could talk about God's infinity, uh, which is really a foundation of almost everything that we're talking about, the idea that God is infinite. His, his eternal nature, the eternal nature of God is a foundation. His immutability, that is his uh, unchanging nature, that God is always has been who he is, always will be who he is. And, and that becomes important in some of the things that we're going to talk about. Uh, we could talk about God's uh, self-efficiency. God doesn't need anything from anyone else. God's self-existence. These are all important topics, and there, and there are others that you could add to that list of things that we're not going to talk about, um, but are kind of inherent in some of the things we're discussing. Um, uh, and, and so we're not going to talk about those things. We have three classes left to talk about the subject, and uh, I would rather focus our attention in some other areas that are maybe everyday practical for us. So we're going to look at that and Tonight, we're going to talk about um, the love of God. And I think that's an important subject to to all of us, obviously. If you look over to 1 John chapter 4, we're going to begin there this morning. Uh, In 1 John chapter, uh, in 1 John in general, this subject really is uh, very central to a lot of the things being said in, in this epistle. When we come to 1 John chapter 4, we're going to begin reading in verse 7. We read, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested to us that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. So in this passage, we read that God is love. And so if you're, if you're trying to describe who God is, what God is, John here says God is love. If you turn over into verse 16, 
He says, we have come to know and have believed the love of God, which has, believe the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So he links this idea that we are a people who love as connecting us with a God who is love. If we're to understand God, if we're to know God, we have to understand the love of God and that God is love. He says here in verse 8, the one who does not love God does not know God. You can't know God without understanding and comprehending God's nature in relation to love, that God is love. If you look over into uh, the second chapter of this letter, 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 3, he says, By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. Now, when you read that, you, you have to link that to something that has been said earlier in this letter. If you took all, look all the way back to chapter 1 and verse 5, it says, This is a message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light. That God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Now, we're not going to take up that topic very much until next week. But John here suggested two ideas. First of all, that God is light. And second of all, that God is love. And I think in those two ideas that are presented here in 1 John, you have a lot to consider. And, and so in the next, you know, what we're talking about tonight and then the next few classes, we want to kind of unravel what some people feel is a tension between those two ideas. That God is light on the one hand, which leads John to say, if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. And then, as we read in verse 3, by this we know we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. So this idea of light is clearly dealing with the, the subject of our behavior, our conduct, our life. Whether or not we can have fellowship with God if we are not righteous. On the other hand, we have the concept of God's immeasurable love and all the other attributes of God that we could describe that fall into that same bucket. And so we'll address some complicated things, not complicated, but controversial things a little bit um, in our next two classes. But tonight we're going to focus on the love that is so central to who God is. God is love. You know, the, God's loving nature, as it's described here in 1 John, is not new. You know, many people have a concept that there's a God of the Old Testament and a God of the New Testament, and that they're very different from one another. But that is not true. God is unchanging. 
The God who loves us today loved us in the beginning, has loved mankind throughout time. He has loved the creation, and it is not new to suggest that God loves. If you look over to Exodus, we're going we're gonna to start, you know, we could start earlier than this, of course, the New Testament, I mean the Old Testament. But let's go to Exodus chapter 34, because here we have in the giving of the law. And the giving of the law of Moses, which we sometimes think of as a stern law, the law of Moses. When we talk about the Pharisees, what do we talk about? These stern, unforgiving you know, keepers of the law. But this is found in Exodus. In verse 34, or chapter 34, beginning in verse 6. Then the Lord passed by in front of him, that is Moses, and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. So God is proclaiming this about himself. I am a loving God. I am compassionate. I am gracious. I am slow to anger. I'm abounding in loving kindness and truth. I keep loving kindness for thousands. But then he says, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. So here we again, we, we see this tension. But the love of God is not new. In the giving of the law, which is going to hold Israel accountable, he says, I am full of love. I am gracious. I am forgiving. I am patient. But he, let, he reminds us that he demands obedience. And righteousness. And uh, I want to give a couple other examples. I thought of this example. I was looking at uh, some passages and I wanted to use this one. Look, turn over to Nehemiah. <clears throat> Nehemiah chapter 9. We've been looking at these passages in, on Sunday morning. Um, and in Nehemiah chapter 9, we see a glimpse of this God. Now, so here we. A moment ago, we're reading Exodus and the giving of the law. Now we're looking in Nehemiah as Nehemiah speaks to a people who are returning from captivity, who have experienced the consequences of disobedience that God alluded to in Exodus 34 after talking about his love. He says, but I, I, won't, let the, I won't let wickedness go unpunished. Here it says, Nehemiah says, well, verse 16 beginning, but our fathers acted arrogantly and they became stubborn and would not listen to your commandments. They refused to listen and did not remember your wondrous deeds which you had performed among them. So they became stubborn and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you, you are a God of forgiveness gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness 
and you did not forsake them. That is the story of the Old Testament. The story of the Old Testament is a God who tried to wrap his people in the cords of love and who time and time again was patient and long-suffering with them, enduring their sinfulness as a husband, enduring a wayward wife. He has constantly wrapped his arms back around them and brought them back to him over and over and over again. That is the story that we see through the Old Testament. And here it is illustrated. It says, you did not forsake your people, even though they were stubborn and they left and they quit listening to you. Even now, you are bringing them back. After everything that has happened. Another example, and I thought of this only because lest we think that God's love was only directed at the Israelites, we have the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah where God sends his prophet to a land, not, of it, not the land of Israel, not to one of the tribes of Israel, but to Nineveh and the Assyrians. He sends his prophet to preach to them. And sought their repentance. And my favorite part of the book of, well, I shouldn't say my favorite part, but one of my favorite parts of the book of Jonah is the very last part. God says to Jonah, do you, not, do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And that's the plant that had given Jonah shade, and now it's died in a scorching sun, and Jonah is angry as he sits there with no shade, and he says, do you have reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have good reason to be angry, even to death. Then the Lord said, you had compassion on the plant for which you did not work, and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. I want you to stop for a moment and think about what God is saying. He says, you didn't do anything to raise that plant. You didn't plant it. You didn't water it. You didn't make it grow. He says, should I not have compassion on Nineveh? Why? Because God had planted it. God had watered it. God had blessed it with all the blessings of the earth. Nineveh, was a product of God's blessing and graciousness like every other part of creation. He says, you, you're worried about a plant that you didn't do anything. You haven't worked for it. He said, I've worked for Nineveh. Nineveh is a product of my blessings, of my graciousness. They're part of my creation. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city? in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right hand and their left? Should I not care about the people of Nineveh? And then he adds this, as well as many animals. 
as well as many animals. I'm not sure exactly what to make of that, but it makes me feel good. It gives me some insight into who God is. The Ninevites were God's children and that all mankind are the offspring of God. The Ninevites, he worked for them. And so he had compassion upon them and sought their forgiveness. That is the God of the Old Testament. That is the God of the Old Testament. Now, I want to turn over to, since we're looking at Jonah, I want to look at one other passage in Nahum. Nahum, in contrast, is the other side of the coin of Nineveh. Jonah is the success story for Nineveh. Nahum is the judgment on Nineveh. When later they transgress and God finally brings about judgment. And I just want to look at one one passage. And in verse 6, it says, Who can stand before his indignation? Now, this is describing the judgment of the Lord that is coming upon Nineveh. And and you you can feel the glee in Nahum in this prophecy. He's he's picking up where Jonah left off. The Ninevites are going to get it. And he says, who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure his burning, the burning of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire and the rocks are broken up by him. Who can stand before the indignation of the Lord? And it's like in verse seven, there's an answer. The Lord is good a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who take refuge in him. And the contrast between those two passages, the the awesome dread of the judgment of God, but then the fact that God said, you know, Nahum says, the Lord is sweeping away the righteous with the wicked. The Lord is good. In a passage which describes the fearful wrath of God, he says, the Lord is good. And he knows those who are his. Those who are his have nothing to fear of him. He is a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who take refuge in him. And... One last thing, just as we you know, kind of conclude some you know, comments on you know, the God of the Old Testament, uh, Psalm 86. Psalm 86, there's one passage here. I, I used this passage er, earlier in the class when we were studying together on Sunday morning. I looked at this uh, passage, and, and uh, I think it's very appropriate here. Psalm 86, uh, which is a, a, a psalm of David. In verse 15, he says, You, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and truth. You, O Lord, are merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness. And, truth. and that's that same word. We see those echoed in Exodus 34. We see them uh, in the words of Nehemiah. David is speaking those same words. That is the God that they knew and they, that they understood. 
in Matthew, turning back over to the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus teaches us that we should understand the law of Moses in the light of love. The law of Moses was about love. Verse 34, it says, But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. And I, I also mentioned in our, at some point in our class that you see this phrase, the whole law and the prophets. It's referring to Scripture, not just the law of Moses, but the entirety of Scripture. He says, the Old Testament Scriptures we're teaching love, God's love for you and your love for God and your love for others. He says, this is the basis for everything. Again, in the Old Testament. So there is no distinction to be made between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament in terms of his love for us. In fact, what we see in in the Old Testament is the story of the New Testament. We see the, the coming about, the, the crafting of everything that transpires in the New Testament is marching towards us in the Old Testament. And so that God was carrying out what we read in the New Testament. He was carrying that out in the Old Testament. So when we turn to John 3, verse 16, which everybody knows, uh, if you've ever watched Monday Night Football, you're, you're familiar with this passage. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved it begs the question, how much did God love us? He loved us so much that he did this, that he gave his only begotten son that the world might be saved. But when did that begin? Well, before the foundations of the earth, before the foundations of the world, Paul tells us in Ephesians 1. Before the foundations of the world, God was loving us. God was planning this. He has loved us all along. He created us in love. And he has loved us ever since. In 1 John uh, chapter uh, 4, I actually read this, uh, went a little bit further than I intended to earlier. But in 1 John chapter 4, he says, by, in verse 9, by this the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. God has loved us in that he sent his son. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul tells us that that happened when we were unlovable. God loved us before, I shouldn't say before, but when we were unlovable. God loved us. In, in chapter 2 and verse 5 of Ephesians, it says, even when we were dead in our transgressions, 
He made us alive together with Christ. By grace have you been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the, uns- the, the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ. And I like to emphasize that last verse, verse 7, where he says, so that in the ages to come, God loved us from the beginning. He has demonstrated it in the present. And he's going to continue demonstrating it in the ages to come. The surpassing kindness towards us in Christ. Why? Because he is love. God is love. He loved us in the beginning. He loved us in the present. He's demonstrating his love to us and through us in the ages that are to come. And I have always suspected that 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 passage kind of helps us to understand why there is a creation, why there was an us. Why did God do all of this? Why did he create all of this? Because we are a spectacle to other ages, to other worlds. The angels that look down upon this. The heavenly host who look down upon this. God has been doing something to us, for us, through us as a spectacle, as a demonstration of who he is. Not only for the heavenly host behind us, but in the ages to come. Whatever that is. And so Paul says... That's why he's done this, because it is who he is. In Romans chapter 5, in Romans chapter 5, this is another, I think, important verse. It kind of sums up some of the things we've been talking about. In Romans chapter 5, I'll begin in verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven proven character, and proven character, hope, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The love of God, not our love for him, but his love for us has been poured out into us through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The, the, the phrase here, poured out, is the, idea, oh, it's the idea of a flood. It's the idea of a, an inundation. That the love of God has overwhelmed us and filled us. And the, the tense here is the perfect tense, which means it is an abiding thing. As one writer described it, it's like a, a valley that's flooded and remains flooded that the love of God has been poured out in us and to us by the Holy Spirit in Christ Jesus, and that the love of God now fills us in every way. 
because it is who he is. And then he goes on to say, for while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Yeah, you know, understanding the nature of God, understanding who he is, who, what his character is, we, we come first and foremost to his love. As it relates to, to the Christian, as it relates to us, it is the most important thing that we must understand about God. And look over to 1 John chapter 3. Back to 1 John, this epistle that talks so much about love. In 1 John chapter 3, it says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God, and such we are. That we would be called children of God. When we think about that passage, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Paul says something in Galatians chapter 2 that I think, you know, shouldn't be lost in this passage. It's a it's an incredible passage in Galatians chapter 2. It's this, um, you know, Paul is talking about some very complicated subjects. But he comes down to verse 20 in chapter 2, and he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Now, what I want want you to do now is think about what he says here when he says, me. When I read that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that's that's pretty big. And I, I know that I'm part of the world. So I know that that saying that God so loved the world that he gave his son for me. But when Paul is writing here, he doesn't say, he doesn't say that the life of which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved us and gave himself up for us. He doesn't say that. He could have said that and it'd have been true, wouldn't it? It had sounded just like John three sixteen, but that's not what he says. He says, he loved me and gave himself up for me. And I think that's an important important thought in the mind of Paul. Because Paul, as we know, was very conscious of his own sinfulness of the life that he lived 
before Jesus appears to him on the road to Damascus. And I suspect that there's some part of Paul that carried that the rest of his life. I'm not suggesting Paul didn't feel forgiven. But Paul was always mindful of the grace of God, which forgave the chief of sinners. And so when he says these things, he's thinking of himself. God loved me, even me, and gave himself for me. So when we think of God, we've said a lot of things about God in this class that, and, and going back on, the sun, on Sunday morning, that are big things, big ideas, you know, uh, things that you can really sit and ponder a lot. But what we want to focus on here is that this big God, this omnipotent God, this omniscient God, this infinite, eternal God who knows every thought of every creature that ever was, loves you and loves me. See, the omnipotent, that, that's what makes the omnipotence of God so important. That's what makes the omniscience of God or the immutability of God or all these big ideas that we can talk about as we discuss and ponder who God is. What makes those things important is because his capacity to do anything in love, to know anything for the sake of love, to do anything for anyone, for each one, is unlimited. It's unlimited. His capacity for forgiveness and mercy and grace are unlimited because he is all-powerful and all-knowing and everywhere all the time. So he is unlimited by any of those things. In Psalm 119, In verse 64, we read this simple statement. The earth is full of your loving kindness, O Lord. The earth is full of your loving kindness. And this is important to me as we began our class talking about the revelation of God and nature in the creation. And here the psalmist says, the earth is full of God's love. In fact, we could, we're, we're not going to ha- take the time to do this. We may touch on a couple of things uh, next week because we're going to continue this a little bit then transition in class next week to some other topics. But we have a few things more to say about the love of God. Um, but we, we were talking about how much we learn about God and nature. When we go back to 1 John chapter 3 and he says, the love of God, we see the love of God in that we are the children of God. We understand that, don't we? Can't we relate to that? Loving children? Because God made us so that we would understand 
the love of a father and a mother for a child. We see that everywhere in our very being. We understand who God is because he has created a world that in every way points to him. And so we understand a lot about love by our own experiences, which God made for us that we might experience those things so he could then talk about or talk about himself and his relationship to us in a way that we somehow might comprehend. And so he says, you're my children. That's how much I love you. You're my children. We hear that, and we are warmed by it because we understand loving children. And so God has revealed himself to us his character, his nature in the world that is around us. He has demonstrated to us in so many ways. Next week, we're going to talk about the love of God a little bit further in the sense of there are many things that we talk about God, about with God, God's grace, God's mercy, um, that I would say are, you know, that emanate from God's love. And we'll talk about those things, and then we're going to transition to this other uh, side of God that some thinkers is... Uh, contradictory, but we'll we'll look at that in the next two weeks. Thank you. The Lord is in His holy temple. Again, thanks for listening. If you live in North Central Florida or you're just passing through, we would love to have you visit us at the Glen Springs Road Church of Christ. Also, check out our website, Glen Springs Church. You can learn more about our church family and how to contact us. Until next time, God bless. Keep silence before.